0: Welcome to the Just In Time podcast. I'm Kerry Jones, editor.
1: And I'm Will Green, news editor at Supply Management. Each month, we'll take a look at some of the top stories in the news and discuss the most pressing issues affecting procurement and supply chains so we can uncover what you need to know. We thought we'd kick off with uh, a few items that have been in the news. You may have noticed that there was a budget And it has some implications potentially for procurement in the form of rising corporation taxes. This is perhaps a foretaste of things to come, rising costs for companies. And Proxima were telling us that this perhaps could be the time for procurement to come to the fore because firms will be looking to their supply base to save money. So that's something for procurement to be thinking about
0: Yes, and the 2021 budget has also committed to making eight new free ports in the UK areas of tax breaks and low tariffs in order to attract business to the UK post-Brexit, uh, which should be a big boost for the economy.
1: And also this week we've had eWorld. We had some interesting presentations there, particularly from uh, the Order of St John, who run care homes and, and the, the challenges they had sourcing PPE last year mainly around hundreds of emails that flooded into their inbox from potential suppliers and they had to come up with a completely new process to uh, deal with that and of course elsewhere in the news we have a new welsh draft law which introduces new duties for contracting authorities on responsible procurement this will mean they'll have to publish strategies around how they're going to achieve social economic and environmental goals But we turn to our guest. We are joined by Graham Crawshaw, Services Director at CASME, which is, for those who aren't aware, a membership association of global procurement professionals. Graham has quite an interesting background in the music industry.
2: Well, I certainly have. I, I must uh, must say, well, I think we should make it clear, procurement in the music industry, in case anyone misleadingly thinks that I was uh, sort of uh, either singing or playing. I do play the keyboard, but um, it wasn't for those skills that I was uh, employed.
0: <laughs> I'm sure procurement in the music industry is extremely glamorous, Graham.
2: Well, in fairness, it, it was... Um, I'm not sure whether it's quite as much as uh, as it used to be, but um, it definitely has got a role for supporting the uh, the industry. But I mean, it was um, quite a number of years that I was very active and, and worked for many of the uh, uh, the music companies, including uh, EMI Music and um, worked both on direct procurement uh, to the uh, compact disc, vinyl, cassette factories, and also in terms of indirect uh, procurement. So uh, it was certainly uh, certainly good fun.
1: I see that helping with their packaging, is that right? There was sort of Beatles, Queen, Pink Floyd mentioned? It is,
2: yes. I I was in a very fortunate position that I've got a lot of knowledge on on packaging. and, And in fact, relating it to the sort of what's what's very relevant today i first worked on a special package for the pet shop boys of of all groups and at that time they were they were massive in the the late 90s and they wanted a, a customized product customized jewel case and if anyone remembers the album very it was an orange box but it had bubbles all over the top of it and and i almost made a name for myself because the band wanted the bubbles in certain positions, but the problem was that wouldn't be able to be machine-packed because the suckers of the machine that, that did all the automated assembly would would go over the, the bumps and therefore lose suction and therefore not work. But when you've got a 4 million unit order, you really do want it to be automated. So with a bit of discussion it was possible to get it redesigned and and meet everyone's requirements. And you know, having done one album like that, I was then asked to to get involved in other types of uh, of special packaging. Anyone that was involved with or liked Pink Floyd, I would think you'd be familiar with the Pink Floyd Pulse album, and that had an LED light within it, and the light had to flash at heartbeat rate. So I was working with Storm Thorgerson, who was the uh, Pink Floyd's designer. He did many, sadly, no longer with us, probably due to the drugs and rock and roll lifestyle. But what he wanted was the album to be alive. And so we worked. It took a long time to to develop, because if you've got a battery and an LED, that doesn't flash at all. So it involved buying a sort of device and some chips and... Um, it was very, very successful and and it was in the days when a double disc pack would sell for around 27 pounds and uh, we, we made about four million. Um, and from that, yet yeah, worked with Beatles and, um, and Queen as well. But it was all about the relationships and having the credibility to look someone, the designer or the artist direct and say, you can do this and it's going to cost this, or no, what you're asking for is completely uh, completely impossible. But it's the credibility. So procurement needs to have that credibility. It needs to spend time understanding what can and can't be done, and then have the confidence to challenge. And I think that's as relevant as it was then that's still as relevant to uh, today and sadly that was the demise of a loss of special packaging.
1: And to say exactly that, 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 that all that packaging is well it's not gone but it certainly is not as prominent now is it with everyone streaming.
2: And there isn't the money to um, to, to justify it either which I think is the uh, the challenge and, and it's upset I mean I remember having the conversation with uh, Richard Ward who was the Queen designer And he said the band produced albums. There was a reason why it went from track to track. There was logic. It was part of their creation. They didn't want a single track in isolation. And so really interesting when you then move to streaming, how that destroyed a lot of the the creation of albums. And of course, the artwork, which many would say was as important as the music itself.
0: Absolutely. I think... Some of that excitement of actually holding and purchasing that packaging, like you said, a special LED cover, or I remember having um, imported CDs where some of the, the actual material was bright green or red. And so it was a talking point. You had that one that was red and it made it extra special. So how has the role of procurement changed when it moves to streaming and it's no longer about that special design and that special packaging and, and that very tangible connection with the customer? I guess you then have to change your role, involvement with that artist.
2: So, I mean, the whole music company, I mean, anyone familiar with EMI will know the changes that it's uh, been through. But the whole emphasis has now been shifted away from the individual albums towards the the experience with an artist. So the whole um, live performance, where possible, if they're assuming they're alive, the live performance and the merchandise and everything that goes with it is, is how the business has moved. So the business has needed to change and um I think that 's been very uh, very evident so music 's as important as it ever was. It still needs to have all the the protection and the copyright and all the other infrastructure that goes with it, but it 's just vastly different. But so many other businesses have gone through periods of massive disruption and change, and I think that 's where whether it's business or procurement supporting the business, that's where it's got to be flexible and and recognise that a new style, a new way of working is, is required.
1: What would you say should be the mindset of a procurement professional who is in an industry facing that kind of revolution?
2: I think it should be flexibility, but also really understanding who they're working with and listening and being sort of responsive to, to different requirements. So I, I changed very fundamentally from buying stuff to to working through on, on streaming contracts, just as, as one, one example there. So it is different, but fundamentally, I think the, the excitement of procurement is that you can adjust, you can do anything. It's the principles behind it that need to be uh, consistent. But those that are really good at procurement have got that ability to really understand what it is that the business or the stakeholders is looking for, and then work with suppliers in order to achieve that.
1: But yes, times move on, and they move on next to 2017, um, when Graham was kind enough to compile the top six challenges facing procurement in one of our most popular online articles last time i checked it was 104000 hits um so it's certainly um struck a chord with the readership and in that article graham identified what he considered to be the key challenges of course facing the profession they ranged across sort of risk management reputation um customer of choice but we decided we'd pick out a few that that we thought were particularly relevant today and one of those was CSR. Of course, I'm with the with the net zero agenda. That's certainly relevant today. What what can you what can you tell us about CSR, Graham? Okay,
2: thanks, Will. And yes, I'm amazed how successful that particular blog was, and delighted that it um, attracted so many people to view it. CSR it, it's fascinating because that that's very much a journey, and I think for a lot of aspects of procurement, it isn't that we work on projects. And they cease to be that relevant. It changes, and over time, there is a different emphasis and different support. So, whereas a few years ago, the whole conversation was around corporate social responsibility, that, that's moving forward. And so now we're getting into much greater discussions around sustainability and and also diversity. So all of those aspects, which are absolutely key to the the reputation of a business and to the sort of broader sort of um, economic, environmental and, and governance agenda. Uh, so it's really encouraging that that is still very much on the uh, the hot topics list in uh, 2021, but it's just changing in um, in emphasis.
1: There's been a report uh, from MPs about uh, concerns about what the government is actually doing to achieve it, it, the goal that it set out, net zero by 2050. Have you got any sort of thoughts about the practical things procurement people can do to actually move companies towards that goal?
2: The answer is do something. And I think the the secret here is not to be overwhelmed by the topic of sustainability, but to actually develop it and work on it. So some of the things are very straightforward and maybe already being done by by the business. So whether it is the, the use of LED lights, whether it is looking at water usage that's that's a very current one at the moment so many companies don't assess their their water um, usage whether it's um, doing some other work in terms of reducing packaging minimizing or making more efficient the containers or uh, packaging that's used to get the components or finished products from, from a to b when you stop to think about it it's not too difficult I think what procurement is needing to do going forward is be much more involved with communicating what it's doing. So you're working with stakeholders and tell them that you're supporting these sustainable initiatives and and use and develop case studies to really make it clear that sort of procurement's been part working with the supplier, working the business and achieve these objectives And it also sort of ties in with procurement's need to really increase its skills when it comes to storytelling and developing a message that the business is interested in. Let's face it. No one really wants to know about cost savings. Maybe the CFO does, but people don't care about cost savings in the business. What they really want to know is some of these topics and sustainability is really targeting a a generation of professionals that are very passionate about it. So procurement goes in and tells the sustainability story Then, actually, as also being evidenced by the, the likes of Unilever, the cost savings flow through anyway. So it's a positioning in the way that you tell the story. And I think that's where procurement needs to develop more and, and actually get it right. So don't go on about the cost savings, talk about the projects, talk about the value you can deliver on sustainability, working with your suppliers, knowing that it then really does help the, the business and also achieve some of the uh, sustainability goals.
0: So Green, one of the things you touched on there was stakeholder engagement. And this is even more important at the moment than ever in some respects i mean we're all at home and we're dealing with people virtually um, but also trying to build new relationships um, at the same time so how has stakeholder management changed and what are your thoughts on that
2: so stakeholder engagement i mean that's been on the list of hot topics for oh many many years and and i must admit it drives me crazy because stop a minute and think about stakeholders and stop up and think about the other functions that work within a typical company. So you may, you've may got a finance function, you've got logistics, you've got insurance, you've got treasury. No one questions the value and the reason to work with all those other functions. As soon as it becomes to procurement, the view is, well, we can either do what we like. We don't have to go with their approved supplier list. We don't have to ensure that procurement are involved right from the, the outset. We'll just do it. And actually, the more senior people in the organisation can be more at risk of, of causing that chaos by ignoring what procurement is, is trying to, um, to do. So you can take the approach of just going along with that or actively work with your stakeholders so they understand the value. We're back to that point. If you just continually go on about cost savings... They won't listen to you you need to be going on about the other areas of value add that procurement really can um deliver and and support the business and then suddenly you get that attention from them so it's a, it's a mindset that again is so critical to um to, to get right and, and procurement can add value but whether it is a lot of these challenges whether it's other aspects of encouraging innovation or just communicating your understanding of what's going on in the market with the stakeholders, then suddenly they they do start listening to you and realise that they need what you do and can can actively use that. So, um, yeah, definitely stakeholder management is on the list. It was on in 2017, and I think it always will be. A lot of people believe that, they can do procurement. I always say no one acknowledges or says, Oh, I'm a really poor negotiator. Do they? They just would never say that. And yet, actually, it is procurement's skill of not only negotiating price, but all the other aspects of the contract that stakeholders need to experience and witness them doing. And um, eventually, we'll get there that procurement will be that function that's respected just as much as other functions are within the business.
1: And there's a new addition to the list. Um, It's been updated, and quite rightly, diversity has made an appearance. And uh, with the Black Lives Matter across the globe, that's quite understandable. What should procurement be thinking about diversity, Graham?
2: Diversity is a really interesting topic. Uh, For many companies that are perhaps American-owned, there is the experience from the US, but it's very defined experience in as far as the U.S. legislation will determine what the definition of diversity is. And in the U.S., every company will assign itself a diversity status. So when you try to apply what works in the U.S. to Europe, then it doesn't really work at all. We do not have those registers of companies. We often are confused by the definitions So yes, it's become a a challenging topic because we need to do the right thing. So first of all, why do we even care about diversity? Well, I think the objective for most companies is to create that level playing field to attract companies that are either women owned or ethnic minority owned or whatever criteria you want to define. But it's not just doing it for reasons that you want to be seen to be supporting diversity. What you need is the innovation that can come from those companies because they may think differently or work differently. And you want them to bring that innovation to your organization. So to me, the work that you do on diversity is all about encouraging the right suppliers in and creating that level playing field. At the moment, we don't have a register or ability to identify diverse companies. So you may need to do a questionnaire to your suppliers and and ask them sort of what you need to define your diverse criteria, and and then ask them, well, do they meet that? Um, what uh, what actually is is about?
1: Okay, well, well, thanks very much for those insights, Graham. We're now going to try and lighten the mood a bit, which is always a challenge in this day and age, but. I believe, Kerry, that, that you've spotted something in the news that might uh, lighten the load a bit for
0: us. Oh, well, that depends on, uh, I guess, on, depends on your political leanings, perhaps. As you mentioned, the UK 2021 budget was released. Chancellor Rishi Sunak was in the news for another reason. Old footage of him emerged in a press opportunity where he declared himself a total coke addict um, when he was chatting with two school children. Of course, he obviously meant Coca-Cola. Oops. Absolutely. <laughs> Big oops. Um, he, he immediately tried to recover. He he was talking about Coca-Cola. He has an incredible sweet tooth. Um, if you haven't seen the clip, it was incredibly awkward and incredibly funny. In his misplaced way of trying to connect with the kids, he, he actually, he sort of did in a way. He goes on to mention that his favorite Coca-Cola is Mexican Coke, because um, it's the only Coke in the world that's actually made with cane sugar.
1: I did not know that.
0: Well, actually, it's interesting. It reignited an old debate about why different Cokes taste different all over the world and and inadvertently got a lot of people talking about regional ingredient sourcing. And uh, Rishi Sunak was partly right. Um, Mexican Coke is made from cane sugar. Um, It's not the only Coke in the world, um, but most of the major markets in the US, they use high fructose corn syrup because it's an absolute abundance of cheap corn supply. Um and in most of Europe there's beet farming, so we do use beet sugar. Interesting. So Coca-Cola does source its sugar from whatever is locally available, so it will taste different wherever you go. But maybe maybe just uh don't refer to it in that way when you are uh when you're chatting with young school kids is the lesson there.
1: Yes, just say no, kids. <laughs> I noticed that Reed's salary survey has found that procurement salaries in the UK are up on average 4.5% in 2020 um, against a national average of 2.32%. Um, so that's a bit of good news for the profession. It brings the average procurement and supply chain salary to £48,700. Absolutely. Yeah, not bad, against a national average of 36000 717 pounds so there you have it um if you if you're feeling hard done by at least you're getting paid above the national average uh, and graham I, I, um <laughs> have, have you spotted anything that's uh, noteworthy not quite as light
2: as as yours with international women's day and I did see uh, an article that was in the, the Times, how a women's abuse charity called Scottish Women's Aid actually lost a contract because, in their uh, submission, they, they excluded
1: men. It's a government contract, isn't it Scottish government contract?
2: It was: gov- Yes, that's right. And um, apparently they had to adhere to gender-neutral tender process. Yeah, it's one of those stop and reflect on the situation. I just want to mention it because I think it's all about getting the relationships and understanding between buyers and, and suppliers. And how on earth did they get into a situation of being excluded? So there's some legal action going on on, the, on that front.
0: There's interesting nuance there, an interpretation of, you know, trying to do the right thing and perhaps maybe not doing it the right way, as you mentioned earlier. Um, That sounds like a good topic to pick up at another point. Um, There's definitely a a lot to unpack there.
2: Absolutely, yes.
0: Uh, If you want to read more about the UK Budget Report um, or International Women's Day and some of the profiles, please do visit supplymanagement.com, where we have some fantastic stories on that. And please do like and subscribe.
1: Well, thanks, Graeme, ever so much for joining us. And it just remains for me to say thank you to our listeners and please join us in the next one.